Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. I'm looking forward to talking about it. I am. This is like one... Um, yeah... It's a weird one. It is a weird one. <laughs> it is really it is, weird. Yeah. It's just like the entire episode watching with Betsy. Like this episode is so weird. Yeah, I got the hiccups, so this is gonna be a fun recording. You we'll do. See. You do yeah. have the hiccups, man. I've, I've tried all the tricks that I know how. And I, I, I don't know. You, you just bit the pages of my book too. No, they were. I mean, you been. bought it, so I guess it's okay. I, uh, well, that's, um. <laughs> that's that's gonna be great. That's a that's a weird one. <laughs> I I get the violent hiccups too. Harrison Harrison loves when I get. Them. The hiccups. Yeah. Well, Hattie, Hattie usually is the one that has the hiccups around here. And the first few times she had them, I freaked out. I was like, I was like, why? Why are they lasting so long? How long have they lasted? Is it okay? Are they supposed to last that long? Is this? It, yeah. Yeah. Um. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome back. It's been a while. It has been a while. Uh, we have been snowed under, frozen out, on the job, under the weather. You know, uh, drowned in babies, not literally. Um, <laughs> but uh, there have been a lot of things going on to kind of keep us from recording regularly, including probably our own laziness to a degree. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We're uh, late now. We've probably not laziness. We have been legitimately busy. We've been, yes. Between yeah. work is really busy for you right now, work is busy yeah. for me right now, and yeah. And then, you know, you factor in the family stuff and. The fact that it was like 44 below zero. I was going to say, that polar vortex body slammed the shit out of me. Yeah, yeah. And there's like two inches of snow outside right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you haven't listened to us frequently before, we are in Chicago, so we're in the Midwest, and we got hit really bad with the polar vortex. We did not, that day, we just took Jessica out to pee. Yeah. And that was it. We didn't take Harrison to daycare. Betsy worked from home. My job just said, fuck it, for two days. They yeah. were like, we got we. <laughs> They threw their hands up like, oh, we'll see you on Thursday. Mine mine pretty much did the same exact thing. Um, although, I, uh, we're, you know, I just have to add real quick, that was not a LaCroix you heard. It was also not a beer. It was Waterloo. Wait, sparkling wait, wait. water. Yeah, there we go. I've Let's take fought, a sip together. I've already popped my open. Here we go. And and cheers, gentlemen. Cheers, yes. <sighs> we're all we drinking go. watermelon flavor, by the way. What do we uh, think? Uh, I like it. Right? I enjoy it. I, uh, we, we are not sponsored by Waterloo, but oh, we could. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> wait, wait. Talk, uh, talk to us. Less expensive at Costco, and in my opinion, tastes better than LaCroix. I know it all tastes the same to Dennis, but, you know. <laughs> I say that half jokingly. Yes. Um, it tastes like gentrification. <laughs> we, uh, we do have a furnace going in the background. It's about 20 degrees outside, so forgive us for the background noise. But, uh, yeah, we we're very excited guest. to be back. Yeah, we got Chris Stewart with us again, and uh, that's awesome. Chris, how are you, man? Oh, wow, I'm great. It's good to be back. Yeah. Man, it's been forever since I've seen and or talked to you guys. It's, I mean, it's been a good season. Good, yeah. good 20 episodes or so, probably, if not more. The last it's, time I saw Chris, we, we closed on, on him in, in Nicole's house. I'm a fucking suburban. I hope yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the last time I saw you, we had uh, brunch with oh, the baby yeah. so that you guys could meet the baby. She's uh, adorable. 
I got very sick after that brunch, actually. Really? Yeah, I think it was food poisoning. <gasps> but we had the same thing, so no, maybe fine. it wasn't. I don't know. So here's the thing. Last uh, Sunday night, Betsy got pretty violent food poisoning. And the thing is, we had the exact same food to eat all day long. We went to brunch with friends. We got the exact same thing for brunch. We watched the Super Bowl. We had Super Bowl snacks. We ate the exact same things. Somehow she got sick. I did not. You never know, right? It can just be that, you know, mm-hmm. I got to get you something else because now I feel responsible. No! So, lunch is on me some of the time. Where, not, you where did you all go? Responsible. Uh, uh, should we say? What's the name of that place? I know what the name of, but should we yeah, say? Yeah, you could say it. I don't blame them. It's Marmalade. Marmalade is Marmalade. Marmalade. That's right, Marmalade, yeah. Marmalade does not sponsor Fate Wide Wheel, it was, but they <laughs> could. <laughs> it was good. It was good. I liked it. I liked it. But speaking of Fate's Wide Wheel, we are here today to talk about Quantum Leap. Uh, specifically, we're talking about the episode Dreams. Uh, Dreams was written by Deborah Pratt, directed by Anita Addison. It aired November the 13th, 1991. Our leap date is February 28th, 1979. Not a leap year for anyone who was interested in that, because I looked it up. The next year was, however. Yeah. Um, 1980 was a leap year. Anyway, uh, Sam has leapt into Jack Stone, and we're in Malibu, California. Dennis, Dennis, it's been too long. Please read the TV Guide description. The TV Guide description. <laughs> Sam's a detective at the scene of murder, and the images that later flash through his mind might help him solve the crime and prevent his own murder. Murder. And uh, some we've been doing a recent episodes, in case you haven't been listening, Chris, uh, what this episode was called in other countries. Uh, in Germany, it was called The Only Witness. In France, it was called Nightmares. In Italy, it was simply called Nightmare. All right. That's... Those are pretty tame compared to some outlandish ones we have yeah. gotten in previous You almost episodes. have to think a little bit more on the nose, too. Dreams is a little, you know, dreams. Dreams, yes. Nightmares. It's like, yeah, this episode is definitely more nightmarish. Yeah. Uh, also worth uh, noting, uh, Scott Bakula and Michael Watkins mm-hmm. were both Emmy-nominated for this episode. Uh, Bakula received an Emmy nomination for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series in 1992, and Watkins an Emmy nomination for Outstanding Achievement in Cinematography for a Series. Both well-earned. In 1992. They were nominated. They didn't win. Damn. But they they were nominated, and I concur. Oh, yeah. For sure. I mean, one of the very first notes that I took um, was uh, that the the photography, cinematography, was was very atmospheric and moody, very fitting for the episode. There was this sort of, like... um, West Coast Noir vibe yes. to the whole episode. There we go. Yeah, um, you know, which is a uh, which is which is a real thing. That's a genre out there. Believe it or not, films like To Live and Die in L.A. Um, you know, and, and L.A. Confidential definitely fit into that kind LA of vibe. Noir, the video game too. That's true. Yeah, that's right. The video game L.A. Noir. Um, and, and there's also novels that, that kind of fit that. Um, you know, clearly like Big Sleep, etc. But anyway, um, yeah, it, it definitely had that vibe, uh, and, and it fit very well for the whole episode. I felt like maybe there were a couple of times, mainly with Al, because how can you get around it with those brightly colored costumes and everything, where it just, like, when he appeared on screen, it maybe took me out of that a little bit. Sure. Um, but Al, in general, Hattie's making a guest appearance for anyone who can hear about <laughs> yeah. it. But uh, it, Al, in general, in this episode, I felt like took me out of things sometimes, because some yeah. of his reactions I just didn't buy. Uh, I agree, but I think it was more the writing. 
than, yeah. than him. I think that's so. Sure. But there, but there is there is one great Al moment, a moment in this episode. I think it's the one and only time we see it in the entire series. We'll get to it later on, but. Oh. But I, I totally forgot this moment that when I was watching, I was like, oh, that's a nice touch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, and right off the bat, there's a lot that's different about this episode, I feel like. Um, you know, just the, 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 the entire leap in, um, you know, feels extremely tense and, mm-hmm. and very extended. You know, a lot of times we get, uh, no, I know, I know the leap in itself is not actually extended. It's actually shortened. What I mean is that the the scene that we get that starts with the leap in is a lot longer, you know, than some of the scenes. It's like watching like an episode of Lost, for instance, where sometimes, you know, they're, they're, that first scene before you get to the first commercial would be like, you know, 15 minutes long and you're like, holy shit, like we're a third of the way through the episode and we haven't gotten a commercial yet. And other times it'd be like two minutes, you know, and this one felt like that scene from the time Sam leaps in until the time he finally leaves the house. Uh, and gets in the car, it just feels very drawn out. And it works, I think, really well for the episode. The other thing, obviously, the eviscerated body. Yes. This is when I was a kid, this is when I learned what the word eviscerated means. Because <laughs> I didn't get what was going on. Because they, they do a very modest shot. I mean, you just kind of like this, you just kind of see the top of her chest and you kind of get an idea. Yeah. So I remember I wasn't getting what was going on. And when I asked my mom what eviscerated means, that's yeah. when I learned what it, what it means. Yeah, I will say, in spite of, I mean, you say modest, in spite of that, I feel like it's still fairly graphic for, you know, Major network television at the time, yeah. sure, yeah, you know. But by today's standards, I I wanted guts everywhere. <laughs> but I'm a horror movie guy, so when he said eviscerated, I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> there was barely any blood. I thought she got shot at first. Well, you know, it's funny you say that, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on this episode in particular, knowing you're a big horror guy. Um, I felt like that element of the episode, it's, it's a little subdued. It's yes. not like outright like horror, but the, those early scenes in particular, um, kind of straddle the line between in that, in that genre yes. mm-hmm. and sort of your, you know, your more like noirish kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's funny because I don't remember a whole lot about this episode from when I was a kid. I remember the scenes of the little boy Jack standing in front of the door mm-hmm. uh, pretty vividly. Um, and I can remember watching it, you know, a couple times on USA. I remember Sam. Uh, there's one scene in particular where Sam you know, is looking pretty haggard. Yeah. Um, he's got the, the five o'clock shadow and the, his hair is a little messy and the glasses and everything. And, you know, I can kind of remember a foggy bit of that. But I think it'd been a good 20 years since I'd seen this episode. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is one of those, because you know, we've talked about some of the last recent episodes. Sam is very workmanlike. Like, he has no personal investment. He's like, let's get the job done. Let's get on to the next one. Like, this is the first episode in a while that is directly yeah. directly affecting him to the point he does some very un-Sam-like things as far as how much he pushes the little boy to remember even though this could seriously screw the little boy. Yeah. Up. Yeah. Yeah, and I will say, and again, there's only so much you can do in, you know, 48 minutes of TV. Mm-hmm. But I do feel, the, as a viewer, as someone who's invested in the story, I do feel a little shortchanged 
by there being no follow-up with the boy after he gives Sam sure. the drawing. You know, because there is an element of like, what the hell happened to that poor kid after yeah. this? I, right, I, I, I will say, while I do overall enjoy this episode, mm-hmm. I feel like this is one draft short of what the episode should have been. I like absolutely ev- agree everything with that. was laid out. It just needed like one more pass to to soothe out. Like the relationship between uh, between Jack and his partner, and yes, they, yeah. they're, they're kind of started dating, and they kind of hinted around that. But and then they she didn't. disappeared. And then yeah. she disappeared. Yeah, she doesn't. Yeah, like she just the the the, the dinner date. That's it. <laughs> we, we never see her again. Afterwards, we don't really get any kind of resolution. Are we going to get into the to dinner the date? Because I got a lot to say about that. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll break it down. So maybe we should uh, start in. So the first scene, and when you said this is more of an extended scene, this is the, the thing that I was going to chime in on. This is one of the rare cases where actually the leap-in starts at a later point than the previous episode. Which is weird because one of the things that that does is it doesn't explain all the blood that's on Sam. Because in the leap out from the wrong stuff, he slips and falls in the blood. Yeah. And we don't see that at the beginning of this episode. And this one, he's falling down. Right. Yeah. But we don't we, we don't, don't see really, him yeah. prior to that. Yeah. 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 So, uh, Betsy and I watching it together, watching both versions, we agreed that it works better with the leap in, like, falling down. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um... It, yeah, it's, it, that's an interesting choice, too. You'd wonder, I mean, was it done for time? You know, you got to think that's probably why it was done, right? I think it had to be, yeah. It just done, you know, just done because they were running a little long or something? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What did you think, Chris? Uh, man, I don't know. Um, all right, let's, let's just get back to the gruesomeness of it all <laughs> and how unimpressed I was. <laughs> like, the way he was reacting. Okay. When he goes in, the first thing that did not impress me, and let me just say, I love this episode all the way. I thought it was great. The little ass gun that he had. <laughs> what the fuck, man? Are cops carrying around these pea shooters? What was he going to do with that? Mm-hmm. You know, standard issue 38 snub nose revolver, right? <laughs> oh, God. So he goes in and he looks at the body and he stops, and you get like. A shoulder shot and a little bit. Yeah. Right? I want... Okay. Maybe not guts and <laughs> Just a little more blood. Sure. It would have been cooler if maybe she was still alive, but like on her mm. last breaths. That means he got there like right in time. Right. But that's just how I would do it. I mean, I understand they probably didn't have the budget or the time or whatever to do that. But I think they could have done a lot more. Uh... But they did enough. They did enough to invest me right away. Yeah. One of the things that is very, very interesting, and I say this with, with, with little to no knowledge other than, you know, what I've read in a couple of books and, you know, seen in some TV documentaries. It does seem like an extreme length for the killer to go to take her heart out. Yeah. That seems to me something that is a little bit more the earmark of a serial killer. As opposed to someone who just kills someone because she doesn't love him. Mm-hmm. You know? Now, I could be completely wrong. Maybe he has a level of psychosis that would have been delved into further if this were a two-hour film or something. I don't know. Like, there was barely any backstory on the supposed killer. I think sure. they could have... Because wouldn't it have been great if 
this wasn't the first time he did this. Right. This was like the ninth time. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I agree. And there's also something very, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but there's something about Dr. Crane... Which kind of cracked me up a little bit because Fraser. Oh God! I mean, he. I mean, he looks. He does look like an evil universe version of Kelsey Grammer. Totally to boot. Yeah. Um, I even have a nickname for him. You guys want to know what it is? Yes, Doctor Glove. Doctor. Oh. Now, now, and I, I went so far as to not only give him a nickname but give him a tagline: No glove, no love. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, We've missed you, Chris. So, <laughs> so you know those early scenes. Like I, I agree that there's that the maybe there feels like a little something missing, but because it's so different for Quantum Leap, yes, mm-hmm. um, and and just knowing you know when the episode was made, it does feel very. Um, I don't know. There's something. There's something about it that that, that kicks it up a notch. It takes it into a different place mm-hmm. especially compared to a lot of what we've seen recently it's which definitely i darker which i feel unfair of saying in a way because wrong stuff is a is a different kind of episode it leaps into a chimpanzee raped was a very different kind of episode as well but i, I mean well, i mean it, one it's different because we don't because this is the first time since shock theater where we have this like sam meshing with Right. With the leap year, the leap back, where we have that weird meshing, and that's a weird new thing. And it's just the tone of it is just all, yeah. Yeah, and there's something, you know, Sam gets a little, you know, maniacal in some ways, um, and, and pushed to, to do things like you were saying earlier that he wouldn't normally do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I don't want to get too far ahead of, uh, ahead of ourselves. Where so, so we got the leap in, he sees the body. Um, he's got the moment with his partner. Mm-hmm. I'm not really partner. Roselli. Roselli, yeah. Roselli. Uh, Roselli. Played by a Jocelyn O'Brien, who was in a third season episode of Star Trek The Next Generation titled Allegiance, which is actually a pretty good episode, as I remember it. She she mm-hmm. spends a lot of time with uh, Patrick Stewart. Um, the two of them, in particular, share a couple of moments. They're basically, what happens is he gets snatched by some aliens, put into like a prison cell with three other people. Uh, she's oh, one of the other yeah. people, mm-hmm. and and but she's also also a Starfleet officer, whereas I don't think the other two are. Yeah. And so there's all sorts of like mind games between who to trust, who can you know, who why are we here, that sort of stuff. Uh, been a fairly decent episode. Yeah. Anyway, um, not a lot on IMDb for her. her career kind of stops around 1997 or so, but. Um, does a good job in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where I feel like you're right about the whole needing another draft, maybe, because I feel like had they had the opportunity to really dig into this, that some of the tonal shifts that happen, especially early on in the episode, don't quite fit. And I think that Roselli kind of being comic relief and Al being comic relief don't work the way that it's done. There's the scene where she's trying to get Sam to go back into the room or whatever, mm-hmm. and it just feels a little it doesn't like it doesn't feel fully committed to being comedic which it shouldn't mm-hmm. but it also doesn't feel like it's not trying to go in that direction and it feels a little off also Al's reaction to the dead body the most tone deaf fucking thing I think I have seen in Quantum Leap in ages I don't know where that came from why that came from it was it was terrible he, I mean he just gets the heebie-jeebies yeah, but he almost makes a joke of it. He's like, he's like, holy moly, or something like that. Like just holy the way, mackerel. Yeah, holy mackerel. He's like, and, and the look on his face, and it's just like there's, it, 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 it kind of, 
it flies in the face that he has been in war. Yeah. And that and not only that, that he wouldn't be shocked for his friend to have seen this. Yes. That maybe he's not maybe he doesn't have to be shocked to see it, but it, it almost feels like it feels like it's supposed to be a comedic moment and it should not be. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we also get a really interesting scene that is very atmospheric and shot extremely well with the billowing curtains and everything where Sam confronts, uh, Peter, who is the husband of the woman who's been eviscerated. How many times can we say eviscerated this episode? <laughs> Take a shot every uh, time we do. All right. Uh, Tim Ahern is the actor who plays Peter. Um, and Tim actually has uh, quite a lengthy career, got current stuff, you know, in post-production and, you know, lots of TV, lots of film. Um, definitely one of those guys that you wouldn't necessarily recognize in this episode because you don't get a lot of clear shots of his face. I was going to say, and wasn't um, he only in the first part of it? Yeah. He, he's only in the first scene. Like, they should have dived <laughs> a little bit more into yep. what mm-hmm. he was going with, too. Because he's a very important character, pivotal character, but we hear more about him than we do from him. Yeah. But in this specific scene, I really love the way it's shot. I really love the you know the dialogue between Sam and him. And this scene feels like what the episode should be. Absolutely. And I feel like there's a little bit of stumbling to get there shortly afterwards that make it feel a little uneven at the top of the episode. It gets, I feel like it gets where it needs to go. Yes, sure. But this scene in particular, just like, oh, okay, this is the world we're in. Yeah. Um, and this just occurred to me, like... We never had we never have this through all the quantum leap. How cool it would have been if the entire episode just played out in real time. Yeah, right. Whoa. From start from this starting point in the entire episode is Sam in the house just trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Yeah. That would have been super dope. Wow. I, I would have loved that. I think it, it it would have been difficult to do with with Crane. Just because... Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, it, it, it would have been an entirely different story. Right, right. But, yeah. But as far as, no, as far as... Tonally starting from this point yeah. and just keeping that the entire episode. That would have been... That actually would have been very cool. Like you said, a different episode, but very cool. Uh, by the way, uh, Sam and I are sipping some Evan James whiskey. This is a special blend he got while visiting Louisville recently. <laughs> Evan James. Evan Williams. Evan Williams. Oh, I'm sorry. Evan Williams. <laughs> I'm That's sorry. A, I have to laugh at that. For some reason. No, no, I don't know why. Evan, uh, Evan Williams does not sponsor Fate's Wide Wheel. But it could. It yes. definitely could. <laughs> uh, so quick quick uh, tangent here while we talk about Evan Williams. Yeah, this is the master blend. Uh, I went to the Evan Williams experience for free while I was there because the, the uh, conference that I was at, that was like one of the perks that we got. So I went one afternoon by myself. I ended up being the only person on the tour, which was actually kind of great. Uh, tour guide was awesome. It was a really fun time. One of the things that I got a genuine kick out of is that the guy who plays Evan Williams used to be a live reenactor, but about five years ago when they built this Evan Williams experience thing, they filmed like a mini film to play along while you're, you know, while you're going on this tour. Uh, And my friend Bill Simmons, who's an actor in Indianapolis, current artistic director, actually, the Phoenix Theater down there, which Phoenix is probably one of the best theaters in the city, if not the best. Um... Plays Evan Williams, and so I got a real kick out of seeing him there. And 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 I told the guy, and I showed him a couple pictures of the two of us on stage together and some shows and stuff. You got to kick out of that. But the master blend can only be bought there, and their distiller uh, on site. He is a, kind of a mad scientist of whiskey, I guess, and so he blended together uh, some of their finest whiskeys to come up with this. And I decided to pick up a bottle, and I thought only fitting that now that I'm back and we're we're doing an episode that we should we should mm-hmm. sip a little. So yeah, so that's what we're doing. And um, um, 
it's it's apropos because I feel as though this episode Sam could have used a glass of whiskey when he was done. Oh God, he could have. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we have this great scene with Peter, and then we have Sam almost talk him down, but then he jumps and attacks him, and then the other police, yeah, you know, they jump in. The police are there; they're on there, right on it. It's almost to me, it strikes me as almost an unintentional comedic moment because like <laughs> they they are on there so quick, and the lights come up, and everything shifts so quickly. It's almost like the end of shooting a scene. Yeah, it's like cut. Lights up, everybody. <laughs> right, right, right. Handling it. Um, and it's go ahead, I'm sorry, Chris. Uh, one thing I would also change. Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it have been great if Sam would have gotten shot or a graze wound or, or mm. just something? Because Peter gets a shot off. Yeah, but you know. No, I think that that's actually a really good point because it, I think it would have added to the tension of the episode the idea that Sam is in some sort of mortal danger because mm-hmm. the flashes, you know, the dreams are mm-hmm. really great. They work really well. But yeah, yeah but if, if, if there would have been some sort of injury, I kind of like that. that. And it would have been this demonstrative thing, this almost like, you know, seeing the blood on him at the beginning, right. carrying that through the whole episode. That would have been kind of neat, actually. Uh, uh but you know they they do save Peter from killing himself and 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 or killing Sam, yeah. whichever one was going to happen because I think it's kind of open enough to interpretation. It's kind of yeah, you know, yeah. you don't really know. Um, it also immediately sets up Peter as as the bad guy, you know, the guy that killed his sure. wife. Yeah. Um, we also have the kids, Sam finding the kids in there. Too. Yeah, which, which, yeah. Which, which happens before Sam actually yeah, confronts yeah. Peter. I should have mentioned that earlier, because that's no, actually no, no, one, yeah. of the, one of the notes I had. That scene where Sam... Uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> Sam finds the kids is, is uh, really wonderful. The, the thing that I loved about it is it adds an element of, of horror and terror to the episode, mm-hmm. because we know what the kids don't know. Or haven't seen, yeah, and it's and as Sam takes them out. First of all, it's, it's kind of touching the way that he does it. You know, close your eyes. You know, don't look. Sure. You know, all this sort of stuff. Like it's it, it's really handled quite well. Um, but there is this element of just sort of like, you know, your heart breaks. You're horrified just because of these kids. Mm-hmm. Right in the other room, you know what's there. You yeah, know? Uh, and it works. It and works. They're well. gonna be fucked up for life after this. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, it doesn't take very long for this... poor old PJ. We never see the girl again, though. Oh shit! Mm-hmm. I didn't even think of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. We only just, see PJ. Just people are missing. Left you know, in this you episode. know, between men and women, boys and girls, women always handle the shit better. She's gonna be fine. <laughs> She's gonna be okay. And it's the yeah. boy. And it's yeah, the boy yeah, yeah. who screwed up. You know, I, I will say we, we, you know, since we made a point of it a couple times that, again, I think we're all going to come out on, at the end of this episode talking about it being a great episode. Mm-hmm. That said, sometimes with those better episodes, it is easier to critique some of the specific things that maybe are a little wrong with it. You do almost have to ask the question: Are there too many characters in this episode? Like, if we would have pared things down a little bit, would it have made a difference? Like, should we have seen the daughter again? Should we have seen Peter again? Should we have seen Roselli one more time? Like, is that an, is that a byproduct of their A, being too many characters, or B, just not having enough time? And yes. And if B, does A also ring true? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, yeah, you could have totally cut the, the daughter, the sister character out. Yeah. Right. You could have just had the little boy hiding. And it would have it would have played better too if he witnessed the entire thing. That would have worked. Yeah, uh, Roselli would have only worked if she had somehow come back in the final scene and had been killed by Doctor Crane, or she was some casualty 
in some way, or she was the one who ended up saving the day. That was like, great. Right. It, we'll get to the end of the episode. I'm just now thinking about it. it. It might have been stronger if Sam not snapped out of the hypnosis. Yep. But if she had saved the day. Sure. Yeah. I would uh. agree with that. I would absolutely agree with that. Um, yeah, there's something else that I wanted to talk about. We'll get there. I don't want to rush. Um, so a- after... You know, Al pops in. Um, you know, Sam is is already clearly strongly affected by what has happened um, in just these few short moments. And again, I think it also adds to that feeling that this opening scene just feels longer and a little bit more drawn out. You know, for better. Um, but yeah, we get the very odd reaction from Al. And yeah. it's... I don't know. Al just seems... To not be taking things too seriously. Like, at first, he's just like, oh, I'm glad we found you because, you know, it, it seems that your brain got a little scrambled in the leap, and um, which is good information to get up front. Mm-hmm. But he just, the, there's a certain, I don't want to say lack of stakes, but yeah, almost just lack of stakes uh, for him. I don't know if it's lack of stakes. It's So, so let's get, so we, we get out and we briefly meet uh, Dr. Crane. Uh, Sam and Al, they have the drive home where Al basically lays out that in two days Jack is going to die. Yeah. But then, you know, Sam, who's already starting to have visions, is like, well, Jack's not going to die. I am. And then we have, like, the first nightmare vision. And then Sam wakes up from that and he's, like, you know, like in the sink, like, thinking, like, splashing cold water on his face or something. Looks up, he gets startled by his reflection, and that's. Al shows up, and then they have the scene. And in this scene, it's interesting because Sam recalls the events of the leap back. Which he's not supposed to. I don't know. if you, Have you been watching Keeping Up? Uh, not as much as I should. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so at the start of this season, uh, Sam briefly leaped home for 12 hours. Al became the leaper. Uh, Sam discovers that he has a wife that he could totally forgot about back home. And in this leap, Sam and Al kind of, their minds melded a little bit. Al became a prude and Sam became the one who couldn't stop making the sex jokes. So, because that was the most obvious way that they could show yeah, that. Yeah, but at, but at the end of the episode, Sam leaps again to save Al, and he immediately forgets everything. He forgets he was ever home. He forgets that he has a wife. He forgets everything. And and Sam's wife tells Al to not tell him because she knows that for him to do some of the things he does in his sleep, he has to get romantically involved with women, and if he knows he has a wife, he can't do it. That being said, he re- he briefly recalls the events of the leap back in this episode, and Al Dean Stockwell has a great moment. It was like, yeah, I remember. No, no, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the funny thing because it almost seems like some sort of error in a way, mm-hmm. um, because there's an episode, uh, uh, the the first episode of the following season where Al specifically brings up the events of the leap back. Yeah, so clearly he didn't forget, but there's this moment. That's subtle, but enough there to make you think, is Al trying to, like, not, like, like oh, we didn't talk about that. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Let's move on, because he's worried about Sam remembering Donna. I've always, I've always interpreted it that way. Like, he's just he, trying to shut it down. Here's a crazy thought that I had when I was watching the episode today. Hmm. There's the great assumption is, for good reason, and I understand that, and this is, this is a stretch, that Sam doesn't remember... Donna or any of those other things. And as I was watching today, I was like, or does he? What if Sam remembers everything after the leap back? 
absolutely everything, but he is choosing to compartmentalize that part of his life, knowing, much as Donna told him in the leap back, that he won't be able to do what he needs to do mm-hmm. if that is in the front of his brain. Then being, you know, the scientist, the logical man that he is, that you know what I mean, if he's just like actively like he knows, but he's not gonna talk about that. He's not gonna, you know, let that affect him. He's going to do what he needs to do. Mm-hmm. Sort of thing. Whoa. I like that idea. Like I can't imagine Sam not wringing his hands over it the first time he has to get, you know, the first time he has to make out with, uh, I can't remember the the woman's name, but he has to make out with his girlfriend in Hurricane. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But I, but I do like that idea. Right. Right. It was just a thought that I had as I was watching it. I was just like, he remembers the Simon Lee, but not Donna. Or does he? Or does he? Yeah. So the the thing that I, that I don't like about this is that in bringing up the Simon Lee, so Sam brings up the good point. Like, he's like, he is figuring out, like, a part of Jack was left behind. Yeah. And something at the crime scene triggered it. And the thing I don't like about the way Al is written in this scene is that he just, like, he just misses, like, no, this is crazy. You're, you know, you're, you're being irrational. And he doesn't entertain, like, this very real notion because he's seen the way Sam acted in shock theater. He had the experience during the lead yeah. Why is he so disbelieving that part of Jack could be in Sam. Yeah. That's why I don't like... That, that's the thing I don't like about the way Al is written. I, I agree, and I and it's strange because compared to Lee Harvey Oswald, mm-hmm. Al... It's... Al has no problem believing that that's what happened in Lee Harvey Oswald. He's just very worried about what that means, and he's more concerned with pulling Sam out of it. Sure. Much like the end of this episode, when he's trying to snap Sam out of the hypnosis and out of being Jack. You know, that's more Al's track in yeah. Lee Harvey Oswald, and it does kind of seem like maybe that should be more Al's track in this episode. It does. It just feels like a very different Al. It feel this feels like first season Al, and I feel like we've not oh, seen that. Nah, it, I, that's a stretch. It does, man. That it is really. Does. I mean, I mean, if he showed up in some shorts and we were seeing his pale legs. Maybe it just feels it just feels like a, I don't know he feels he feels very out of place in this episode. I guess yeah, I mean I he, that's what but, but here's the owl moment that I love and we're getting to it. Okay. So Sam realized like he has he don't know why but he has to go back to the scene of the crime to figure out to to like unlock something. So he, so he goes back to the scene of the crime to open the door. The owl moment that I love is that when he steps back and we pull back and we see that Al is spying on Sam. Mm. We never see that at any other point in the series of Al doing that. Yeah, you know what? It's funny because as I was watching, that particular moment also stood out to me for multiple reasons. And the look on his face, again, I don't want to try to say that he's out of place the whole episode, but that particular moment was certainly a moment where it was it, it felt very true and honest to this episode, mm-hmm. you know, and to Al. And it did work, I agree, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. But I agree, like, other... Yes, yeah. I agree with other points, yeah. Not quite first season, Al, but I I agree that, yes. And as the episode goes on, like, towards the end of the episode, once Al really starts taking things seriously and comes back... It, again, this is jumping ahead, but, you know, hell, that's the nature of what we do these days. <laughs> yeah. When Al comes back in and talks about, like, the fact that Jack knew Gene, you know, and... and, and 
that that's the reason why Sam had gotten there so quickly. And, and and proposes the you know the idea basically that Jack might have been the killer and like all this sort of stuff like yeah. when we like that the stakes have been raised for Al and he seems more invested and at the very end of the episode when he's worried about Sam obviously he's you know he's there when he when he's worried about PJ and he says you know Doctor Beak says if you push him too far he may never come out of it like the 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 last third of the episode feels right for Al mm-hmm. it's just that most of the first like two thirds just don't feel right for him yeah. So, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to that, we uh, this is when uh, Sam shows up. He tries to meet Doctor Crane. He wants basically like he wants to be his patient. Doctor Crane. Doctor. Yeah. Doctor Mason Crane is played by Peter Scarf, um, and he uh, has quite the the lengthy list of credits, including uh, two episodes of Star Trek: Next Generation, one episode of Star Trek: Voyager. Uh, he was also a character called Colonel Stringer on Tour of Duty for uh, a recurring role uh, for a while. Uh, did an episode of Sequest, NYPD Blue, Outer Limits, was in the film Lethal Weapon 3. Uh, pretty lengthy resume up through about 2007 or so, and then it seems to peter off a bit. But um, no pun intended, because his first name's Peter. Alan. Oh. What, what? Alan. It's Alan Sharp. It is? Yeah. You're thinking, of, you're, Peter? you're thinking of Peter Dakara. I ah. guess I am, because I literally wrote it right after I wrote yeah. Peter Dakara. No, it's okay. Uh, and he was also, uh, he gets another Star Trek mention. He was in the uh, Birthright. That's right. Um, which somehow, I, uh, about a month ago, somehow I totally had never seen those episodes. Oh. And, I went back, and I went back and watched them. Oh, those are, Worf. I have mixed feelings about Worf on Star Trek The Next Generation. But those were a solid two episodes. I agree. And here's the thing. There are a lot of people out there that don't actually like the Klingon episodes a lot. I'm a huge junkie for those Klingon episodes. I love, you know, whether it's Matter of Honor, Birthright, like, I mean, all of those episodes. Redemption. Like, I just, I, I love those episodes. And one of the reasons why I think I love those episodes so much is most of them were written by, or at least produced by, Ron Moore, who would, of course, go on to do Battlestar Galactica. Uh-huh. And is also responsible for a good portion of the first like five or six seasons or so of Star Trek Deep Space Nine as well. Yeah. Uh, which I also like, had a lot yeah. of Klingon stuff in it. So. I, when I say, like, I don't uh, I, I don't have a problem with Worf himself, I have a problem with the way that Worf is uh, cr- uh, treated mm. in a lot of episodes. He just gets thrown out. He gets beat up a lot. He gets thrown around a lot. For a Klingon warrior, it, it just, it's, it's just weird. And not only, and I feel like not only physically, but even like verbally. Like yeah. There's a lot of times where like Picard lays a smackdown on him, or Riker lays a smackdown on him, or whatever. You're just kind of like, Man, yeah. We're, we're. Sometimes he's a little pirate. By the way, uh, there's a great Facebook page that I've stumbled upon called "Unsolicited Relationship Advice from Morph," <laughs> which uh, takes screenshot memes. Actually, it's more screenshots from his time on DS9 oh. than uh, than Star Trek: The Next Generation. But it, it, it's like actually like genuinely good messages about being a good partner. And obtaining consent mm. and things like that, and the the person who has this page, like you know, he has his own like little things that he's written, like he's writing in Worf's voice, and then he just puts them over screen captures right. from yeah. these episodes. One does have to point out the fact that Worf Worf got got a lot of ladies uh, in Star Trek. You know, mm-hmm. Next generation, he had Kaylor, who was like his. You know, his wife, uh, Klingon wife, half Klingon wife. Then he eventually started, like, dating Deanna Troy in the, in the last season. And then in Deep Space Nine, he ends up marrying Jedzia Dax. You know, uh, so, I mean, he, he might have something to offer as far as relationship advice goes. Now, obviously, the advice with Kaylor and, 
Troy didn't work out, so maybe, you know, he learned a few things from the bad relationships before marrying Dax, but, I don't know. It's interesting to think about. Yeah. So, like, for example, like, it's a picture of uh, somebody looking at a picture, and, like, the thing is, like, it's okay to miss your ex. Love in your past only contextualizes your future. <laughs> All right. Ain't that the truth. It, yeah, it's stuff like that. Um, but a lot of these are, like, of actually him and Dax. A lot of the, the screen captures that they use. That makes sense. That makes sense. They have a very interesting relationship in general. I, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of both of those characters, uh, especially because I feel like uh, you know Dax really comes into her own as the season goes on. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because the actor uh, who I don't know why her name is escaping me right now. Is it Terry O'Farrell? Yes, thank you, Terry Farrell. Um, Terry Not Farrell, O'Farrell. Yeah, yeah, O'Farrell, but just Farrell. Yeah, yeah. Terry Farrell. Uh, she, she's actually married to Leonard Nimoy's son, Adam Nimoy. They got oh, married right, like yeah. a year ago or whatever. But anyway. Um, She's been very blunt in interviews and talked about how, like, the first couple seasons, she didn't know what the hell she was doing because she had never, like, acted before. She was a model. She, you know, she didn't... She like, had acted before. We know she had acted well, before. She's on an episode of Quantum Leap later on in the she season. She is, that's true, but she'd never done <laughs> yeah. anything like this. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and, and so she feels like she wasn't very good. But in my opinion, as the show goes on, and even in those early episodes, like, there are times when I'm watching and I'm just sort of like, what was she talking about? Like... She's not bad. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, uh, 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 Worf. Good old Worf. God damn, we're gonna do a Star Trek podcast one day, aren't we? Eventually. Uh, uh, one other thing I want to mention for Scarf, real quick, is that he was also in an episode of Highlander: uh, Rite of Passage, um, which is uh, uh, a halfway decent episode. I thought of like his face reminded me of a lot of things, and Lethal Weapon Three probably is where I know him from. Yeah. But I was a huge fan of the Highlander series. Yeah. The Highlander mythology in general. Absolutely. And he looks like he would be a good seasoned immortal looking to take some hits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. And and uh, the the episode that he was in, I say, Rite of Passage, was he the villain? He had to be the villain, right? Let's see. Yeah, it's gonna take me too long. Yeah. To find well, you're only there. The thing is, like, the thing that I recognize him most from. Now that I look at his picture here on IMDb, I recognize him as being an evil-looking Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, which makes the fact that his name is his last name is Crane even funnier. Yeah. Um. Anyway, back to oh, also we should mention what Babylon Five. He yeah. was in the director video Babylon Five: The Lost Tales, uh, which unfortunately are fairly terrible. Um. But what are you going to do? Warner yeah. Brothers didn't want to give Straczynski the money to really, you know. Yeah. Uh, but so anyway, so uh, we do have one scene with Roselli and... Wait, uh, wait, wait, before we go there. Sure. When he first met the psychiatrist, did nobody notice why a psychiatrist in Southern California was wearing leather gloves? <laughs> That's the first thing I noticed. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. like, what... What the fuck is he doing? Where's he going? So I, PJ had something to draw later. <laughs> yeah. I feel, I don't know, I feel like that was, uh, I, I can't give you any clear example of anything else, but I feel like that was more of a trope in the late 80s. Of, like of, of, of characters or... wearing like dry, like leather driving gloves. But was he wearing gloves in the first scene? I didn't recognize, I, maybe I he wasn't. He was. I just, I didn't, it didn't register, but in that scene outside his office, I guess maybe the gloves he wore in the first scene were black and yeah. these were like gray. Right. Yep, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I was just like, dude, aren't your hands going to get sweaty? Well, all things, all things considered, 
Um, he had to get some new gloves. Um, <laughs> okay, can I just bring something up real quick? Because I've, I've been thinking it for a while. I didn't really want to say it because I didn't want to go there because it brings up a lot of shit. But did anyone else think to themselves, man, kind of, like, I can't help but think a little bit of OJ when I'm watching this episode. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Like, that did not cross my mind. Especially, but okay. like, if Peter, if Peter had been killed as well, you know, the, the gloves, the just like the... the, the Crime of passion, etc. Whatever. There's the, I don't know. Yeah, but let's California back, yeah, land. So, so, so let's go back to Peter because it. And this is another thing where I feel like this episode needed another draft because mm-hmm. at one point Al shows up and he says that Jack gets killed by Peter. Yeah. And they never explain how Peter gets out of jail for oh, this two yeah. days later. And they never come back to that. That's one of those things like, this thing needed another draft because you didn't know where the hell the story was. Right, well, and the, and the fact that ultimately, like, it, he doesn't get killed, he commits suicide. Yeah. So there's this element of also, like... How but his heart is cut out. Right, which you would get, I guess, I guess Crane did after the suicide? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like I said... Maybe the suicide wouldn't have happened unless it was Sam. I, yeah. I so, so, so... Uh, uh, Sam and Roselli at Peter's office is how they get Peter's day planner. That's how they get on to Dr. Crane. Ah, so then go. he goes to Dr. Crane's office. Sam wants to see him as a patient. He's not seeing anyone else. Dr. Crane leaves. Sam breaks into, uh, Sam breaks into Dr. Crane's office. This is where we get another like really goofy, kind of like almost comedic Al scene. Oh, yeah. Where it's like him like popping out, like, you know, break in, try a credit card. It, that's what, it, it's just, yeah. it kind of breaks the, the, the L.A. noir aspect of the and, the West Coast noir and aspect I'm all, of the episode. And I'm, and I'm all for, like, comedic moments to help break a little bit of the tension. I mean, let's face it, you know, in drama 101, you talk about, you talk about fucking Sophocles, you talk about Shakespeare, you talk about Tennessee Williams, you, talk, you know, any great playwright you talk about, they would write these tragedies and there would be these moments of comedy to help break the tension. The thing is, is that tonally it would still fit. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, the comedy would still fit with the rest of it, and instead, Al just comes off as being... It, it, it just doesn't it, fit. Yeah, it just doesn't, it's, it's incongruous with the rest of the episode. Yeah. Um, one thing that's very interesting in the, in the interplay between Sam and Dr. Crane, when Sam kind of wants to be his patient and everything, uh, as Sam tells him about the dreams and about, yeah. you know, all this sort of stuff, you know, Dr. Crane's response about, like, you're lying to me, you know, it's like, you, some of what you said was some a lie. Some great dialogue. Yeah. It, is, it is some really great dialogue. And the thing is, is that, like, Crane is so close to being a mustache-twirling villain. <laughs> Not not really, but but more in that vein, like of just a villain and nothing more. He's very close to being that, but he's not. And I don't know why it works or how it works, but like Alan Scarf, Deborah Pratt, whatever, make this character feel like not just, in, you know, a, a villain, even though he is a villain. I don't know. It's interesting. And also looking at him in the context of... Uh, the, the Star Trek Next Generation episodes I brought up. In those episodes, he is presented at first like, oh, he's the villain. Mm-hmm. And then you find out, like, no, he's not the villain. Like, he had to make some difficult choices given his circumstances, but he's not the villain. Mm-hmm. But Alan Scarf, I, like, he... Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. Because, and the thing is, is that when the, in the therapy session with the two of them, he comes off as being kind of helpful. Yeah. And honest. Yeah. Uh, for one, he totally breaks 
oh, yeah. confidentiality totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in a huge way. That's what, like, when Betsy and I were watching it together, she was like, what? Like, what? Like, what? Also, and this is where we get into, like, the, into the West Coast noir aspect of it. Like, the way he is lit in that scene. Yeah. The, sh- the, 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 the shaft, I, that's the right word. The shaft of light that just goes right across his totally eyes in that scene. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's, it is done well. Um, the uh, so should we talk about the dinner? Should we talk? Are we, yes. Is that where we are? Sure. Yes. Yeah. Talk about the dinner, Definitely Chris. Talk about the dinner. Talk about the dinner, man. Holy <laughs> shit! All right. So Sam is there. First off, I hadn't been attracted to uh, Pam. Sure. The entire episode because she was she was in full cop gear, but boy did she end up being cute and messy. <laughs> so they show up for dinner. They're having. What spaghetti? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. like Italian food, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, this is their. What do the kids call it? This is her dick appointment, right? <laughs> oh my god! This is her dick appointment. What? <laughs> but all he wants to talk about is the fucking case. Oh yeah. So she's like, "You motherfucker, <laughs> can we not talk about that and have a serious conversation?" And then it ends, and then I don't know if you guys like see the scene of what she's wearing. It's like kind of a, a cotton dress okay, okay. that's very form-fitting. Okay. And at that point, I remember saying to myself, dude, you care about this case more than this beautiful lady that <laughs> obviously wants to stay in your company. And then the scene ends, and I'm scratching my head. I really felt bad for poor Pam. I really did. Yeah, it's, it's, she got pretty for that man. <laughs> but, you know, she the, shaved her legs. She, for yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> the thing is, you know, the thing too that's interesting about the scene is that this is, and, and one of the one of the notes that I took um, is that, uh, and I knew this beforehand, but this is specifically when I wrote it. Scott is great. You know, the weariness, the mania, like all of that is really coming through very well in this scene. Um, He's barely able to eat. He's yeah. barely, you know, and, and, and the food and, looks great. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and like you're saying, you bring up a really good point. Like you know, Roselli clearly has something else in mind for for the evening. You know, a, a, a different idea of what this evening is going to be. I don't think she minds horribly that they're talking about the case. Like I don't think she's like, get out. We're talking about a case. Yeah. No, but I do think that she was hoping for this to be a, a break from all of that. Yeah. Um, and the fact that, you know, Sam won't let it go, can't let it go. And here's um, the other thing I was thinking. Like, they probably have had a long history of having, air quotes, dinner together. Sure, sure. So mm. this was probably the first time they had a dinner where he was off. Yeah, that could be. I don't know. It's very. Yeah. I thought. I think I remember like her having a a line in the scene that kind of suggests like this is like the first like dinner that they're they're having. Maybe, maybe they've met up before. Maybe they've hooked up before. And now they're trying to take it somewhere yeah. romantic. We don't know because they don't really explain anything. And that's what I was. Yeah. But she has a line that makes something like, "Hey, this is your shot, and you're screwing it up." Did she say that? She doesn't say it that way. But basically, she says like, "Hey." This is a thing that we're doing. I need you to turn off being a cop right now because... That's even you're, worse. You're screwing this up. Yeah. That's even worse. 
You know, and the thing is, is that it also goes back to what you were saying earlier about the ending, about the, the, it would have been, how cool would it have been if somebody else saved Sam? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and she would have been the prime candidate for that. Because she's following the threads of this case the whole way through. Yeah. She's right there with him. You know, she's indulging him, talking about the case at dinner and everything. Like, eventually you'd think that she would get there and, and, and you know, she could have been the, the deus ex machina, you know, the thing that, you know, saves Sam at the end or whatever. And it would have been, it would have been kind of cool. Um, but because she's kind of left by the wayside after this, it's just, it, 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 again, it begs the question, do we have too many characters? Do we have not enough time? You know, does... Does B lead to A? Do you know what I mean? Like, are, sure. are we, you know, are we in that place, or did she just she served her purpose and now Deborah Pratt's moving her along? Oh. You know? I don't know. Which is which is too bad. Yeah. I can't I believe know. I missed the you missed your chance thing. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't exactly that, but basically, whatever she she said something that gave me the idea. It's like, hey, this is just something that we're starting right, right. now. Like, what, hello, what, like, what's up? Yeah, yeah. Like, what's up? Yeah. Why are we doing this? Uh, so, yeah, so from there, I mean, through this, we're like, we're getting more and more visions. Like, we get, so we, 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 we get, yeah. we, we get Sam as little boy. Mm-hmm. We get Sam. This is the, actually, the vision that, that always stuck with me is like Sam getting up to the door when he opens the door. Bloody Sam is on. Yep. Is oh, on. yeah, that was wonderful. As a horror fan, I, I'll. <laughs> That entire sequence, when it was him, bloody, I was like, oh my god, that's awesome! Yeah. yeah. And it's, and the thing is, the thing that ends up being kind of striking about it, and because it's and it's played well early yeah. on in the episode, when he looks in the mirror and he gets scared of the mirror yeah. reflection, and it's just sort of like, how many times have we seen Sam look in the mirror and not be unsettled by it? And instead just being like, what do I look like now? That workman-like thing that you were talking about earlier, yeah. Dennis, and instead this time, it's like, oh, God, you know, it's like, yeah. ah, that's not me, <laughs> that's not me, and then when he sees the visions, it's, yeah. it is him. Yeah. I do and have a question uh, about the vision, though. Uh-huh. Uh, the boy, was it the boy, was it Sam as a boy or was it Jack as a boy? It was Jack as a boy. Jack as a boy, yeah. Which again, it kind of makes it even more unsettling because he's yeah. seen someone else as a boy. Yeah. But when he sees the dead body, it's him. Even mm-hmm. though we know it's supposed to be Jack. And so it's it, it really does play. And it's one of those things that I feel like if you don't, if you don't actively watch this episode... If you just let it flash before you sort of thing, it, it might not mean a whole lot. But when you're actively like engaged in this episode and watching it, those little things, it's like, man, mm-hmm. it, it, it helps you to appreciate, I think, the work that goes into crafting a thread like that within this episode. Because there is something very effective about choosing to have this boy before this door, mm-hmm. have Sam before a door... And what's on the other side of that door. And in one instance, it's Sam. And in the other instance, we don't know until the end of the episode what's on the other side of that door. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, it, and I think it plays really, really well. And I think it's, it, it's one of the reasons why, obviously, the, you know, the cinematography is, 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 is nominated for an Emmy. And, of course, Sam is nominated for an Emmy. But certainly you could argue that Anita Addison, the director, and Deborah Pratt, you know, for really kind of helping to craft those ideas... You deserve a hell of a lot of credit as well. And hey, it's worth mentioning. And we don't have a whole lot of we don't have a whole lot of women directors on the show. I was just getting ready to mention that we had you know here's another instance where uh, we have not only a female director but also a female writer. You know, mm-hmm. Deborah Pratt, of course, you know wrote quite a few episodes. But we should mention real quick that Anita Addison 
um, had directed, um, before, uh, uh, done a couple of episodes of Knott's Landing, of Sisters, uh, Homefront. Here's where it gets interesting for me, and I think Chris will dig this as well. She also directed an episode of Freddy's Nightmares, um, which plays nicely, I think, into, into this. Uh, she would go on to do an episode of uh, ER, Judging Amy, um, and a few other things here and there. But uh, it's worth noting as well that this would not be the last episode of Quantum Leap she would direct, because she'll go on to direct Ghost Ship, which is oh, another kind of eerie, atmospheric episode. So uh, this is right in her wheelhouse, clearly. Um, but yeah, uh, so so the fact that you know we do have a female director um, is, is pretty great. Uh, unfortunately... She passed away at the age of 51 um, in 2004. We were doing so good. We were, were, weren't we? Um, And oddly enough, uh, I'm reading this right now, that um, she was very good friends with Paul Haggis, who of course was the writer and director of the film Crash. Yeah. And the film Crash was actually dedicated to Anita Addison. Hmm. Interesting. Um, All right. So there you have it. Um... So, uh, Anita Addison, uh, I, I think, deserves quite a bit of credit, obviously, for the direction, in addition to Michael Watkins, um, for his atmospheric cinematography. But the visions, one of the other things that obviously is so striking about them is that they're not just black and white. They're an extremely washed out, very mm-hmm. deliberate kind of black and white. Mm-hmm. And that enhances them even more than if it was just like, we're switching to black and white for these scenes. Sure. Um, and, and, yeah, it just... It, they they work very well. They're jarring, which they should be, um, and it, it's strange because even though it is, they don't really feel like a gimmick. No. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No. Those are my thoughts. There's like the and also like a, a practical thing of it being very washed out. They're able to shoot more on a budget and not like put a lot of detail mm-hmm. into the set. We're just like in a dank hallway, walking up a little, you know, stencil pathology on the door. Speaking of the doors, the doorknobs, I love the fact that the doorknob is specifically like the first couple of flashes. I think again, if you weren't actively viewing this episode, you know, if you if you were just and even if you were, you know, the idea that that, that first time you see the, the doorknob, you might not really notice it. But the fact that it's highlighted, you realize it's a different doorknob. Mm-hmm. And that is a wonderful kind of, I don't know, it, it, to me, it's, it's, it, I really enjoyed the way that it played with, here's a doorknob, here's another doorknob, here's a door, here's another door, here's, a, mm-hmm. you know, the parallels between what Sam is going through in the real world as opposed to what's happening in the visions um, just pair up really well. Oh. Yeah. What do you think, Chris? It's everything a good nightmare should be. Yeah. It's jarring. Even the sound effects are mm-hmm. like good I don't point. want to say they're they're eerie, but they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like everything about it is uncomfortable. It's the same dream, right? But with different aspects every single time. But it's just the same dream. Mm-hmm. And it's I don't want to say it's depressing. It's like dark, <laughs> yeah, but with a blinded light, it's mm. it's mm-hmm. it's an attack on your senses almost. And I feel like this is where the the episode really kind of steers into the the sort of the horror territory a bit more. 
Um, you know, again, right down to the sound effects, I'm glad you brought those up, because they do kind of... They, they're not the same, but in my mind, if somebody were to say Halloween, or somebody were to say Friday the 13th, they kind of sit in the same realm mm-hmm. as, like, the Michael Myers theme or the Jason theme. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, this is kind of that sort of, like, it is meant to, to unsettle you a little bit. It is meant to kind of jar you from mm-hmm. whatever your initial expectation might be. Um, and, they, and they do end up being very effective. It almost made me grind my teeth, especially the closer he was getting to. And I love the suspense... Because nothing good happens in a horror movie when you open the door. <laughs> right? Yeah, right, yeah. Right. Nothing good. Which, okay. So, where, where, Dennis, you're the one who's really keeping track of the stops this year. Where are we at? So, where are we at? So, Sam has gone to visit Dr. Crane. Yes, so Sam has gone to visit Dr. Crane. And so, as they're leaving, this is the scene where, or, or we, we've already jumped ahead, we've talked about the, the, the dinner scene with Rosalie. Yeah. But there's also a moment I want to point out, and this is. Quantum Leap has always been really bad about doing uh, the ADR, the audio dubbing, yeah. after the fact. And there's a really bad moment in this episode. I saw it. Is, is when Al shows up and says, you got to get out of here, blah, blah, blah. DeCaro isn't the killer. And the audio says, you are. But Dean Stockwell's lips clearly say, Jack is. That's right. And it's so jarringly yeah. bad. Yeah, it would have been better if he would have said, "But Jack is." It's, yeah, so they were they, they were trying to go something like really dramatic. Because I, I understand like, it's more dramatic to say you're the killer instead of Jack is the killer. But uh... well, and the other thing is, is frankly, it doesn't necessarily match up with the conversation that happens immediately afterwards. Because even Sam is saying Jack. Yeah, so you mean like Jack can't be the killer? You know, and, and, and I and I feel like it would have been. It feels a little, yeah, it, but it also feels a little hand-holdy. Yeah. It also feels like we need to remind the audience that Sam is Jack. Yeah. And we don't, it's kind of like... We don't trust you to, yeah. And at that point in the episode, I almost feel like, if you don't know that Sam is Jack and Jack is Sam, like, <laughs> even if this is the first time you've ever seen Quantum Leap, yeah. you know, like, eh, I'm questioning whether or not you're... Sure. I mean, you know, thing, you might be on Twitter. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why you're watching the episode. Anyway, I mean, that's the thing that we talked about, is like, one of the... the, the the not great things about this series is that it's very clear that Don Belisario did not trust his audience. Well, and you to, also to get the show. You also have to wonder though how much of that is his fault and how much of that is also the threat of the cancellation, sure. the network. That you know yeah. what I mean. How much of that is just the pressures of television at the time? Yeah. Um, you know, it's like it's it's like it's like Murder She Wrote. I swear to God, you watch an episode of Murder She Wrote and. In the first 15 minutes, there's got to be at least 20 different people that talk about the fact that Jessica Fletcher is a mystery writer. And it's just sort of like, for fuck's sake, yeah. I know she writes goddamn mystery. The it's name of the show is Murder, She Wrote, you know? <laughs> so it's one of those things that it's, I, I think it's just a byproduct of TV at that time. Sure, fair And it's, you know, it's like Rod Serling used to talk about this even before. It's funny because he does an interview before The Twilight Zone even airs. And it's a fairly popular interview. You can find it on the internet even. Where he talks about television basically being a sales tool. And, 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 and part of his fear of that. And he, he tries to underplay it a bit because he doesn't, you know, hey, he's got a TV show coming out right now and, and he doesn't want to, you know, be enemy number one for the networks. But later on, after he kind of is out of TV and he's doing some of his lectures, he talks specifically about the way that TV, it's not about telling a story. It's about selling something. Yeah. And that, 
you know, you don't have the opportunity to really tell these stories. And he got lucky, obviously, with The Twilight Zone, because he did. Um, but I think the 80s especially, uh, you know, late 70s, all through the 80s, into the early 90s, was very much about TV being a product, as opposed to being, you know, a long-form storytelling, surely, like it is today. It was, you know, the idea wasn't necessarily that we wanted, you know, the same audience every week watching Murder, She Wrote. The idea being that, you know, I want someone watching Murder, She Wrote. You know, it's like, I don't care who's watching, I just care how many are watching sort of thing. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and now I feel like that maybe has changed a little bit. You know, it's still a product, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a little bit more, just because the way technology has changed, we've gotten a little further away from that sort of episodic you know, weekly television being used to sort of just shill a product on somebody, like literally down to the commercials, to being much more about how much can I get somebody to pay for my streaming service because I'm telling them a story they can't miss. Oh my God. Sure. Can I, can I rant about CBS? Do it. Okay, so, and, and this ties in with Twilight Zone. Sure, yeah. The new Twilight Zone is going to be um, Jordan Peele, mm -hmm. who, uh, if you don't know out there, audience, is a killer director... Yeah. He did Get Out, which is one of my favorite horror movies of all time, and is doing a new film called Us, yep. which is going to be crazy spooky. Well, he yeah, didn't he recently say in an interview that for him Get Out wasn't necessarily a horror movie, whereas Us is a horror movie? Yeah, like, to me, I'm just like, that, dear God, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I get. Like to to me, Get Out, other than being social commentary, obviously. I feel like it was psychological thriller for the first two thirds, mm. and then the last third became a horror movie. Yeah, that when you got to the point, you felt like they were like they're like cutting out and moving brains. I'm like, okay, this is a horror movie now. Right, right, right. And yeah, one of the reasons Get Out works so well, especially with me, is that all of the things that happened to him in the beginning happened to me. So mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, oh, that's that's fucked up. That's a and then there's a, a spot in the movie where you're like, oh shit, this is this is real. He needs to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> he needs to get out. Oh, yeah, the original title was Get the, the Fuck, fuck out. out. Yeah. <laughs> I also love that TSA says the day, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, uh, oh, but back to Jordan Peele, that, I thought the Super Bowl commercial, yes. by yeah. the way, it was great. Yes. It was lovely. Yeah. Well, as a big Twilight Zone fan, man, I love that. Yeah, I'm totally looking forward to viewing the Twilight Zone. Which is not yeah. going to be on regular TV's fuck you CBS. I know. Oh, I, I threw my head at the TV. It's, it's like, like I think I feel like we talked about this in a previous. Same thing with Discovery. Yeah, yeah, like I've heard like the what the argument what CBS Access is doing. It they do not intend to last forever. It the argument that I've heard is like what CBS Access is. It is a uh, it is a long play to tell Netflix like hey. We don't need to have our shows on your service. But you do. We can we can get enough people to pay for our service. We don't need you. But you can. So eventually, well, like their idea is like, hopefully eventually they will convince Netflix to give them more money for their shows. Well, I, you know, the... This is Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast. I wish, <laughs> I, I wish that that were true. Unfortunately... What the the Warner Brothers conglomerate, whoever the fuck owns it now, you know, it used to be AOL, Time Warner, whatever. I don't know who the hell owns what now. But anyway, Warner Brothers 
is in the early phases of launching a huge streaming platform. They are going to incorporate all of their films, all of their television, cartoons, everything. And it's going to be theirs. So the idea being that, you know, you want to sit down and want to watch Lethal Weapon? You can watch Lethal Weapon. You want to sit down and watch Babylon 5? You can watch Babylon 5. You want to sit down and you want to watch this, that, that, whatever? You can watch it. DC Universe, apparently, is kind of their, their, one of their testers. And they did it in such a way that it's just the genre stuff. So, you know, Batman animated series, Lois and Clark, etc., etc. They've got a few original series. Yeah, they've got the third season of Young Justice on there. They've got uh, an original series of Titans. They've got Doom Patrol coming up. They've got a Swamp Thing show. All this sort of stuff. The idea being that eventually DC Universe will be a part of the overarching Warner Brothers streaming plan. The reason why I bring this up and the reason why I'm kind of pissed off about it is because there was this beautiful little streaming service called Filmstruck. And Filmstruck, in association with the Criterion Collection, was bar none the finest collection of films, streaming films, that has ever been done. It unfortunately only lasted for about a year and a half because when Warner Brothers decided to say, fuck this, we're going to make more money doing other things, they pulled all their licenses for all the films that they had and now they're going to go do their own thing. And so Filmstruck is no more. Now, Criterion was like, hey, we can do this on our own. We'll just use our films. It's no big deal. The thing is, is I feel like CBS is on the same track to eventually do that, where it's like, this will be the, oh, oh, because the thing I forgot to mention is, not only are you going to be able to watch all those films and TV shows I just mentioned, but it'll be the only place you can do that. Nobody else is going to have Lethal Weapon. Nobody else is going to have Battle on Five. Nobody else is going to have et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And CBS eventually is going to get the same way and be like, nobody else is going to have How I Met Your Mother, nobody else is going to have Twilight Zone, nobody else is going to have Star Trek, and that's the thing that's going to be the killer. Because now all of a sudden you can't go into Amazon Prime or Netflix and watch Star Trek. You can't watch, you know what I mean? And that's the thing where it's like, it's so short-sighted, and the reason why it's short-sighted is because they're going to expect you to pay 20 bucks a month for their service that's going to have all this shit in it, or maybe not even 20 maybe only 10 But what it's going to cause us to do is all of a sudden, if we want to watch all the things that we want to watch whenever we want to watch them, which is why streaming exists, now we're going to have to spend 50 bucks a month for five different yeah. streaming services, which is the whole fucking reason we didn't want cable in the first goddamn place. And to that point, so we uh, signed up for CBS Access last week because like two hours before the Super Bowl, I remembered... We cut the cable. So I'm like, how do we watch the Super Bowl? <laughs> and I'm like, all right, CBS All Access. And I've been wanting to see Discovery anyway, so we decided to go with that. But here's the, but the, the thing that drives it home for Betsy is that uh, one of the things that we miss the most about cutting cable is that we love watching Colbert. Mm. You can watch clips of Colbert on YouTube, yes. but you, you, you always get like the clip of the intro. And then it bounces to another episode that's an entirely different episode. Yep. And so, like, to actually, like, to watch, like, from the beginning, like, up to starting the first guest, which is, like, all we ever really watch of Colbert, you can't really get that experience, but you can on CBS Access. Oh, right. But then after we sign up for that, I'm like, we really need to do an audit, and we need to figure out, because I think we're at the point now, we're spending just as much, between Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. and we have, like, Stars, so we can watch Outlander, mm-hmm. we have HBO, so we can watch John Oliver, now we have CBS, we also have Hulu without commercials, and we have Netflix. Yeah. We are getting up, up, we are getting up to just back when we had cable. Right, and that, and that is, to me, the breaking point, and I think that there will come a time when a lot of these streaming services will lose money. Um, I hope, quite frankly, I hope they do. Because I think that having a Netflix 
ultimately could be much more profitable long term than having 15 different streaming services that I have to buy in order to watch the stuff that I want to watch. And the, you know, the funny thing about it is NBC Universal so far it seems to be you know, I mean you can stream Quantum Leap for free. Yeah. Yeah. You know, on NBC Universal's app. You can also watch it on Hulu, you know, yeah. paid if you want to. But then the, 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 the other thing is, is like with the Disney streaming service that's coming out, it's like, that's going to be the only place you can get the Marvel movies, it's yes. going to be the only place you can get Star Wars, it's gonna be, and they're going to have original content too. And that's why they canceled all the Marvel shows on Netflix. Although the weird thing is, I don't know if you've heard this yet, Punisher has not been canceled yet. Really? Yeah. And neither, has, great. and neither has Jessica Jones. And a lot of people are wondering if they're not going to do a third season of Punisher and a fourth season of Jessica Jones. So, fuck Luke Cage and... Okay. I don't know why. I don't know how. All I know is, is it's like a lot of people are like, why haven't they canceled Punisher yet? Yeah. Like, why have they not been like, we're canceling Punisher? Because they can't... Because you're right. They canceled Luke Cage right away. They canceled yeah, Daredevil right away. They, you know, yeah. It's weird. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, by the way, the third season of Daredevil. Fucking amazing. I haven't seen it yet. I need to watch it. The second season of Punisher. Fucking amazing. The second season of Iron Fist is even better. Yeah. So, what are you telling me here? I don't know, but the second season of Jessica Jones was... Oh, yeah, that was fucking trash. It was I love We, we watched one episode, and we're like, we didn't think it was bad. It was like, eh, it's not... And it's not just... just I mean, it's, it's hard to top David Tennant as the villain. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. He's got a new podcast, by the way, for people interested in podcasts. Really? Yeah, he does like uh, hour, hour fifteen or whatever. He has a guest on and he talks to him. And because he's David Ten and because he's amazing and everybody loves him, he gets like awesome guests. Like he sits down with like Ian McKellen. Sure. Nice. He sits down with like Jodie Whittaker, who's the new Doctor. Like so, yeah. he's like got all these awesome guests on. I haven't listened yet. I have I have the, the first three episodes or first two episodes. I think he's only got two episodes right now downloaded. But the third episode comes out like tomorrow or Tuesday, and that's yeah. the one with Jodie Whittaker, which I'm really excited to listen to. Thanks for letting me vent about CBS. That's yeah, fun. man. Yeah. Hey, that's what we do because we're a so, quantum leap podcast. Yeah. So, so by the way, <laughs> welcome to our first. I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna propose this right here. This is gonna be an offshoot side episode that we put out as a bonus. <laughs> yeah. So that in case you don't want to listen to this 20 minute tangent we just went on, this is a bonus episode this week. It needs to be heard, damn it. That's just called <laughs> Bitching About CBS All Access. Uh, uh, we are not sponsored by CBS All Access. Oh, we will never be. We could be, and now we retract everything I just said. But we're not. Uh, so, anyway, so we are. Um, so, so let's go back to the scene where now uh, Sam is making his way to go see the little boy to go see PJ mm-hmm. to try to get another piece of information this is one shot that I really like it's just one long extended shot of Sam and Al walking towards the facility where PJ is at yeah. and Al is trying to talk him out of doing it and then we get to the scene where Sam is pushing him to, like, to remember one thing and this is uh, uh, this is so not Sam yeah to be pushing a little kid like like Al says, like if, if he remembers his mom's murder, he may never come out of this. And it's like, and, and then Sam, his response to that is like, he doesn't remember to ha- he doesn't remember the bad stuff. Have to remember the bad stuff. It's all bad stuff. Yeah. It's all it's all bad stuff. And how are you going to control like what he remembers and what he doesn't? Now I will say, to be fair to Sam, he is fairly sensitive in his approach, if not 
what he's doing. You know what I mean? Like sure. the way he talks to PJ, it, it, you know, it is he, he, he is pretty sensitive about it. Um, but it is interesting that he's even doing it in the first yeah. place. I, you know, and, and let's face it, Sam thinks he's going to die. And he, had, you know, he has a beautiful line, you know, to, to Al, the way he says it and everything about, I don't want to die. Yeah. And, and, and especially knowing the danger that he's been in over the course of the past three and a half seasons, and knowing what we know about his ultimate fate, mm-hmm. you know, it really is pretty affecting and pretty powerful. Um, and the fact that when the show began, you could argue it was a mad scientist trying to figure out if his experiment worked. Mm. But because of what we know happened at the end of Leap Back, and because he remembers that, and it's been indicated to a certain exception that he remembers that, he knows what he got himself into this time. And so when he says, I don't want to die, it has a little bit more weight and impact, in my opinion, than if he would have said it in season two. I'm digging deep here. I'm going. I'm, sure. like, I'm like. I'm like. You know, I'm examining quantum leap as though you know it's sure. But as a as a counter argument to that, he has leaped into the vicinity of a lot of people who are about to die. Mm-hmm. Even still, to possibly push a little boy over the brink. Sure. It's like okay, these other people are going to die, but now this one time you might actually die, and now you're going to throw all rules out the window. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, I, I have a whole fan wink that I'll drop at the end of this thing. Right. Whatever. Yeah. So, anyway. PJ is played by Michael Patrick Carter, by the way, a young uh, child actor who was in Child's Play, uh, Black Sheep, and also in a little movie that I caught multiple times on HBO back in the day called Milk Money with Ed Harris and Melanie Griffith. Hmm. And I just have to say, if you've got like an hour and 40 minutes to waste, you could do worse. It's kind of cute. Ed Harris is awesome because he's Ed Harris. Uh, the kids are great, including Michael Patrick Carter. Um, it's uh, you know, it's not it's not terrible. It's really not terrible. Um, anyway, while while we're here, we should awesome. Uh, even though she's just in one scene, Leah, the the sister, uh, she she is in an episode of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. That's right. Another another notable mention there. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Noli Thornton. Is mm-hmm. her name? Yeah, yeah. she's uh, she did Deep Space Nine. Um, she was also in a uh, extended role on Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One Zero, and um, Shadow Play was the episode of Deep Space Nine she did. Yeah, we saw uh, David Garrison as Mirror Image Jack Stone. Uh, he had a pretty notable career up there. It looks like his last credit was two thousand one. Uh, then he just kind of fell off. Still alive though. Way to go! All right. Uh, and Brandon Loomis plays young Jack Stone. Um, oh, this is weird. So, Quantum Leap was his last credit. He had an uncredited role in Space Jam. I think like he was just like basically an extra. And then he has uh, a credit as Gunman Number One in a movie called Infinity Chamber in 2016. Hmm. Interesting. But other than that, not. Not a whole lot. Uh, back real quick to Noli. Apparently, she also uh, was in an episode of Star Trek: Next Generation as well. Oh. So she did both Next Gen and DS Nine. All over the place. So there you go. How about that? So the thing that uh, back to the episode that surprised me, I forgot like how 
how quickly this episode's move and how Sam basically figures out that Crane is the killer is that uh, the kid, what's his name? PJ. PJ draws a picture of the gloves. It's a very, yeah, and, and the pa- the passing of that drawing to Sam is done incredibly well, in my yeah. opinion. You know, PJ is, is, is clearly, profoundly, how could you not be affected by what has happened? Yeah. Will not talk, will not say a word. Mm. His hands have been, like, clenched like fists anytime we see him. When he opens up his fist, there's this, you know, just crumpled, tattered page, that, and then Sam unfolds it, and it's two hands. Yeah. Now, as we know, they're gloved hands, which is why they're, yeah. they're these, like, sort of grayish-blackish hands. Excuse me. Um, but it's just done, it's done really, really well, and, of course, yeah, that's the thing that, can, that helps yeah. lead him to... So, that began, again, we are in rough draft territory here. So, Sam pretty much knows that Crane is the killer. If he doesn't know, he's an idiot. <laughs> so why does he go back alone with Crane and allow himself to basically be hypnotized? Oh. Back up. See, this would have been great. This would have been great uh, if his partner had come in and saved him. Because yeah. would it have been great if he would have called her and said, I have a theory on who the killer is. I'm going to go see... The psychiatrist, yep. and what if she was like really mad at him, right? Yeah, and then was like, I got a message, but I didn't get it until late because I was pissed at you about our dinner. But then she gets the message late, runs over to the mansion, and before Sam is about to blow his brains out, she shoots Dr. Glove and right. saves the day yeah. through the heart. Oh, yeah, oh, god, that would be great. Yes, I know. I agree. I think it would have been a lovely, lovely moment for multiple reasons. Um, it's worth mentioning that Roselli is also uh, the deliverer of an important piece of information that we that we kind of talked about earlier. But she's the one that actually tells us that the victim's heart was missing. Yeah, uh, yeah. She even implies that it was eaten. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is uh, and the, and, the, and you know. It, the way the scene plays out is a little awkward to be completely frank with you like the dialogue doesn't completely work but um, it is it is a, a nice enough um, because it also lets us a little bit into Roselli's mind where she's having a little difficulty dealing with all this too like this sure. is kind of a brutal thing and you know she was one of the first people on the scene too like that you know yeah. this is affecting more than just Sam slash Jack yeah um, but I agree you know we've beaten it to death but one more time I guess won't hurt if she had saved Sam in effect saved Jack I think it would have been a very effective ending it also would have been effective because it, it's a little convenient the way that Sam snaps out of things at the end yeah there's no indication whatsoever that he's going to. He's doing the creepy little boy voice the whole time. Yeah. Talking about seeing his mom yeah. dead on the pathology table. Yeah. You know, like, I feel like this is the scene why they decided to to submit this for Emmy nomination. For Emmy nomination. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, Scott is great in it, obviously. I've got to say, Alan does a really good job, too. I mean, at this point, he's definitely in villain territory without okay. a doubt. Like, he's the bad guy. Yeah. But his delivery of... You know, the fact that he had the affair with um, 
Gene. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Well, also, Jack had had an affair with Gene. We right? Lost I over know. That too. Yeah. yeah, we're so all over the place. So Jack has slept with Gene. Alan is, or Alan, Mason Crane has slept with Gene. We, you know, Crane tells us that Peter is hopelessly in love with his wife, in spite of her infidelities. Yeah. And those infidelities include this cop who is investigating her murder, and Doc Crane, who is helping the cop, who is actually the murderer. I mean, it's it's a little twisty. It is. It, it, it adds to that sort of L.A. noir vibe kind of sure. thing of it, you know, the, yeah. um, the infidelities, if you will. Not yeah. Gene. No, it's Gene. No, it's Gene. Yeah. We don't really get much backstory on the wife either. Nope. She was just a plot device. But wouldn't it have been wouldn't it have been great if she was like a former Hollywood starlet or There's all sorts of ways that, like that some could go on. porn star or something, yeah. <laughs> just something to make her Other than just yeah. Other, other than, than just, just a plot device, yeah. And I want to say in this final scene we, we also uh, Cinematography-wise, this is a great shot. I don't think we ever get. Usually, when we see the imaging chamber door, we just see it like a straight-up shot. Yeah. There's a shot in this scene where we kind of get it overhead, like looking down the imaging chamber door and Al appearing. Yeah, and it's and it's also kind of at an angle. Yeah. As well, so you're right. It's not just that sort of straight-on. Yeah. You know, it is kind of this sort of weird angular. You know. Thing. Yeah. And, and, and it works. It works really well. It adds a little bit to the creepiness. The other thing that adds to the creepiness is the fact that it doesn't just open up and Al's there. Like, Al's, like, actually Stepping walking. Out. Yeah. Through the door. Yeah. 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 So that's great. And so Al shows up with the information. Like, the reason why Sam is screwed up is that when Jack was a kid, Jack witnessed his own mother's... Walked in on his own mother's autopsy. Yeah. That stayed behind when they traded places... And, that, and that's the cause of everything in this episode. And one more thing that is a little unfortunate, I guess, is that we don't learn how she died. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, I, I, I feel like it would have been an, a little... I have kind of a theory. Yeah? When he reads the door, it says pathology lab, and I don't know if you guys did this. I didn't know what the fuck pathology meant. Yeah. So I went and researched it, and it's like the study of rare diseases or something. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And he says something along the lines of, my mom shouldn't have been there. She was just alive uh, not too long ago. I think maybe she caught some sort of rare disease in the hospital. And then they were trying to figure out what that disease was to, like, save people. And he went searching for his mom and opened the door as they were doing the autopsy. Yeah, those were like like because like I I knew what pathology meant, but to me like I didn't bother looking it up. Like it doesn't strike me like that's they wouldn't be doing an autopsy in a pathology lab. Yeah, because like a pathology lab, like they would like be like studying samples. Right. I had to like look it up. Yeah. I I, I honestly I I don't know. I bought into the whole thing. I figured that was just sure they you know they did it. But the 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 the, the thing is that I thought was. The reason why it would have been nice, I think, to have that information is because I feel like I, in my interpretation, I felt like maybe she died a violent death, hmm. and that that might have added to the overall yeah. atmosphere of this whole thing. I'm not saying she needed to have been eviscerated necessarily, <laughs> yeah, you know. But, Take a but, shot, ladies and gentlemen. But, but yeah, right. But but I think that there's there an element of sort of figuring out what it was, you know. 
I don't know. It could have played into a lot of things. Why Jack became a cop. Mm -hmm. Why this particular case is is, is bothering him so much. Why, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, It is interesting to note, and worth, I think, pointing out, that his mother and our victim did share pretty very similar semblance. Yeah. 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 Um, Which throws at all sorts of weird Oedipal things, considering what we know about Jack uh, as well. Why did you say But, like... But I mean, hey, it's it is it's worth noting. It's worth <laughs> by the way, the corner is played by a gentleman named Whitecliffe Young. Uh, another weird thing: uh, Quantum Leap was the last thing he did until 2015, and then he had a couple uh, roles and a couple of shorts in 2015. Huh. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, Al shows up and uh, basically does the exposition, the exp- the exposition, yes. the exposition to explain where we're at. Like we said, Sam conveniently snaps out of the hypnosis. Shoots Dr. Crane dead. Dead. He's undeniably dead. He's, <laughs> he's down on the ground, yeah. eyes wide open, dead with his glove knife hand. So apparently, like you, know, like you said, like he was going to get Sam to commit suicide, and then he was going to eviscerate him. Because, yeah, hey, jollies. Right, right. Um, How incompetent were cops in this whole thing? <laughs> like, at some point, let's say, let's say Dr. Glove gets away with this whole thing. Right? Has Sam commit suicide, takes his heart, right? Are the cops gonna say, hmm, this guy committed suicide and he took his heart out? Yeah. Yeah, right, right. Like, what, yeah, no, I know. Well, that's the thing though, is that we do, in the original history, Peter DeCaro was the one that was found guilty of his murder. See, that would make more sense. It. Yeah, but it oh, yeah, it's weird, man. It's weird. It it does it does bear the question of like with another draft or maybe even in a former sure. draft. Was Peter there? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, could you imagine the scene if it if it actually played out where it was Peter, Jack slash Sam, and Doctor Crane, like all three of them? Like, I don't know. It, 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 it makes you wonder, like, why is Peter the one? And then, like you said, how the hell does Peter get out of jail? If Peter's in jail. Yeah. Why the fuck is he the one that's found yeah. guilty? That, so, and, and, yeah. And so the episode just ends like so. So Sam shoots Doctor Crane and then he just collapses and like Sam squats down next to him. Roman. It's not like it's like almost not quite comedic, but Al just has a. Whew, yeah. That was something. Right. Well, we got out of this one. And then Sam leaps. And then Sam leaps. Yeah. Single so, drop of rain. Yeah. So this is this is the the extreme fan wink on my part. This is what makes the episode work for me, short of it getting another draft. This is a dream Sam has between leaps. Mm. Mm. That explains all the weird incongruities. That would be great. I, I yeah, and I do like that. I like that because in dreams, it is not too much of a stretch to like encounter people. And then they just disappear, basically. Yeah. And thinking about the way some of these characters basically just disappear. Just, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think I know a lot of people hate, like, it was all a dream trope. I, sure. I'm attracted to it for, for weird reasons. But, yeah, I mean... Hey, is, I think it can absolutely work. Mm-hmm. I just think that it, it can also be a huge cop-out sometimes. For sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, to me it came, like, after I watched the episode that night, like, in the middle of the night, I got in the, you know, I got in the middle of the night to pee, or probably Harrison woke up or something, and then I was like, it was a fucking dream. Yeah. That's how it works. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's you know, so so it's. I, I guess it's worth noting that this episode uh, does get a lot of um, credit for being a good episode. Um, the uh, uh, I loved it. Yeah, like, it was like, super for, for all its problems. Thriller. I still love the episode. Right. Yeah. The villain was villainy enough. Yeah. And but uh, it's not, we've also brought this up before. Uh, Shock Theater. You haven't seen that one. So, um, there's an episode earlier at the end of the third season where Sam leaps into uh, someone in a mental institution just as they are getting shock treatment. Yikes. And that leads to Sam going through this cascade of actually believing he's people that he has leaped into previously. He is very briefly Jesse Tyler from Color of Truth. He's briefly another of other characters. Um, and at some point, Don Bellasero, the creator of the series... He said that he had always envisioned from the beginning that Sam would eventually start to lose his mind from trading places with people so many times. And Shock Theater was the start of that. As we go on into the last season, there are going to be a lot more instances of Sam taking on traits of the person that he leaps into. And so this is kind of starting to go in that direction. Cool. Yeah, and there and there and then there's another the the big two part season premiere season five. Where, I mean, steers hardcore into that. Yeah. Um, well, basically, point, by the end of that episode, he is Lee Harvey Oswald. Exactly. Yeah, just he's no longer doing Sam. just doing what Lee Harvey Oswald did. Man, that episode, man. When we get there, holy shit. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, overall, and, and again, just one of the things that I was going to say real quick too is that when looking at some of the fan reviews uh, on other sites, you know, Al's Place, uh, The MacGyver Project, um, uh, even on IMDb, you know, it definitely gets um, higher rankings um, than, than other episodes. Uh, a lot of people note, you know, how creepy the episode is, um, how uh, atmospheric the episode is. Some people don't necessarily like that about it, other people do really like it about it. Um, but for the most part, I mean, this is definitely one that gets pretty high marks and I think that it is um, in spite of some of the, the, the critiques that we've given it and the fact that the episode in some ways does get to be a bit of a mess at times yeah uh, it, it does it, it's overall works well it's effective you know it's, it's engaging it's an engaging hour of television mm. you know yeah um, and I sometimes mean, that's the best thing you could say about a piece of TV and as horror <laughs> movies go it hit everything it needed sure. to like yeah. It was unsettling. I felt fear for Sam's safety at all times. I never really knew what was going on until um, he was handed that piece of paper. Like, Mm -hmm. I had my suspicions, but I didn't really know. And up until he conveniently snapped out of it, I fully thought Dr. Glove was going to fucking cut him open and eat his heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, and Doctor Doctor Glove, <laughs> yeah, he goes. I mean, he goes damn near. You know, I mean, to Hannibal Lecter yes. levels of creepiness there at the end. Sure, he's talking about you know his infatuation and, and love mm-hmm. for for Jane, and it works. You know, it, it, it does work very well. Um, there's some missing pieces, I think, is what it I really comes yeah. down to. It's just you some know? missing pieces. Yeah, um, but overall, yeah. Overall, enjoy it. Yeah. And and for season four in particular, which has not necessarily thus far been the strongest of seasons, quite frankly, Hmm. uh, it's easy to give this one kind of high marks. Yeah. 
you know. Um, I still I still stand by my assessment. Maybe a play ball and the wrong stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, again, in the pantheon of Quantum Leap episodes, they probably wouldn't rank that high. But as far as season four goes, I would rank good. them fairly high. Yeah. The wrong uh, stuff was the one with the chimp, right? Yeah, yeah. that yeah. is actually the very first Quantum Leap episode I ever saw. Well, we've clearly failed by not having you on <laughs> the last episode. <laughs> uh, you know, we've had one episode where we had to edit someone out entirely because we lost her audio. Oh, God. We should do an painful. episode, go back and edit, edit Chris in, in. Oh, edit Chris wow. in <laughs> to what we've already had. Just completely out of context. Oh, that was beautiful. Just whatever. Uh, so anyway, so Sam leaps out and uh, car breaking down on the side. Um, and... Uh, Billy Beaumont, you're going to make it rain. Oh, I recognize the actor he's with. It's Cockroach from uh, 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 The Cosby Show. No oh, shit. Okay. I didn't even... I, I must not have paid very much attention because mm. I would have... Carl Anthony Payne II. I'll be damned. So He's uh, really young, too. Yeah. I just remember saying, holy shit, that's Cockroach. So that'll be a single drop of rain next week. So maybe to wrap this up here, you were talking about earlier, like you were disappointed by the the, the lack of guts. Yeah. Whatever. So I'm just going to... This is a little uh, short horror movie that you've never seen before. I know you've never seen it before. But I've just hit play from the point that I'm handing it to. If you want to see some guts oh, here. Yes. Okay. Yes. For the love of God. Yes. <laughs> oh, wait. We may edit this out here. We may. We may not. You never know. We're wrapping things up. It's all good. Oh, I was going to say, give me sound, man. Give me sound. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Give me more. That'd be fine. Bro. How about my place? You got fucked up. I did. (laughs) What did you do? This this is a, a short horror movie that I was in a few years ago called Idle Threats. Uh, basically, it's a short 12-minute horror movie, and, and my wife gets possessed, and she ends up eviscerating me. So, that, so we just a, a, a case we leave it in. So uh, the the writer and director of the film, like he actually went out and he got some liver and he got some sausages mm-hmm. and he laid it out. And so, like as the camera pans up my body at the end, like it looks like my intestines are just laying yes. out, my liver's out there. Yeah. Now that thirty seconds mm-hmm. makes me want to watch that because, as a horror movie fan, I always think when somebody gets fucked up in a horror movie, there's a paper trail of bad decisions they made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I want to see your paper trail, dude. Yeah, I'll send you the link to that. Yeah. Nice. Uh, idle, idle threats. Idle, a d o l. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we'll edit this out. But yeah, this is uh, this is our episode. It is, yeah. So Dreams. Dreams was good. Next, we're on the single drop of rain. Or it's Dreams good. was bad in a good way. Right, yes. There you go. There you go. They were bad dreams. <laughs> um, but it has been a pleasure. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, man. Anytime. Um, it is It is good to be back. Mm-hmm. Um, we will uh, We will absolutely get our next episode out. Wait, 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 wait. One more thing. Uh, you guys watched the Super Bowl, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it the most boring thing you've ever watched? You know, it was a pretty boring game. You know, it's like, it was boring from a low scoring point of view. The commercials weren't that great. Yeah. I had to shut off, like, for the half hour for, like, Harrison's bedtime in the middle of it. But it wasn't a horror... It was was boring from the standard, like, there wasn't a a lot of scoring. 
but it was still a pretty decent game. It finished, you know, finished. Oh, the halftime show was awful. I watched the oh, NXT thing. I, mean, I don't want nothing to Good do with for it. you. Good for I mean, you, it was, man. It was, let me just say, that was... I don't know if it was bad awful. audio or something. It was just like... Really, some commented on a thing that I posted, like... Adam Levine seems like he's someone who's helped a lot out in the studio. And it was like, yeah. I was like, I posted a thing like, welcome to the Maroon 5 karaoke night. And that's what it, and that's what it sounded like. Yeah, it was pretty terrible, man. It was just... Best thing that came out of that is at one point Adam Levine took his shirt off and so it showed his like tattooed torso and there's a meme going around now that has instead of Adam Levine at the Super Bowl it says shirtless Michael Scott. Oh yeah, and so his that. tattoos are like like scrambling over his stomach. He's got like he's got like uh, um, you know Jan and 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 Holly and like all coffee mugs. Like, world's greatest yeah, 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 yeah. And there's Toby's like, face with like a gun to the head. The, and, yeah. the funner one I've seen is just an actual shot of. Of, of Adam Levine with his shirt off and it was like Adam Levine Adam Levine looks like he's memento and all he needs to remember is that he's a douche yeah <laughs> okay that's pretty good too, actually. Uh, I love it I love, man memento actually funny enough that's a movie that I feel like has parallels with this episode oh yeah, yeah. When you said like for like, sure like LA Noir yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I should have brought that up earlier yeah. let's great, re-record the, the episode thing. now there we go the greatest thing about it was that for Dreams Redux <laughs> Alright, I think that's a wrap. That's a wrap. If you're still listening, thank you so much. Thank you for listening, and to our offshoot episode. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we're, we're thrilled to be back, and uh, we're going to have more Quantum Leap goodness coming at you real soon. And uh, I think I think uh, Dennis and I are going to be talking about future things for this podcast soon enough, because let's face it, we've only got about 30 episodes left. left. Yes. So uh, we're going to have to figure out what's next. Yeah. Because I don't think we're going to stop doing this. Yeah. might no, change. We might, no. we, we might We might talk about other things. We might, you know, we'll, we'll figure something it. out. Yeah. Yeah. There's some more creepy horror movie quantum leaf stuff. We might just, yeah. We'll oh. start a Star Trek or something or I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. We'll talk about Fringe. Anybody seen Fringe? Oh, that's on my list. Of, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, right. I, it was a Fox show. Right? It was yeah. a Fox show. It, yeah, it, it had five it. seasons. And let me just say, I I spotted a deal on the Blu-rays over Christmas, picked them up, and I threw the first disc in yesterday while I was doing some cleaning and stuff like that. And suffice to say, I stopped cleaning and just sat and watched. And man, it's a good show. it yeah. holds up. It's really good. What are they called? Really uh, the, the, the bald guy with, uh, with no eyebrows? The Observer. The Observer, yes. So I was in a uh, promotional thing. That's when right. They, like they were promoting the second season, and so they they got a bunch of bald guys with basically my build, and they just had us go downtown, and we started off uh, at Union Station, which is where like all the trains come in to the central part of the city, and we just like stood around the entranceway. We we're all wearing like pretty much like identical gray suits. Mm. They put prosthetics on us, like they put makeup so on us, like eyebrows, like, yeah. like to take away the eyebrows, and. Uh, and we just stood around and we just stared at people nice. as they come out of Union Station. And then later on in the day, we moved on to the Thompson Center <laughs> and just stared at people. So and, ori- and originally, they were going to have us holding briefcases, and they decided not because they were worried that we would look like terrorists. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Because that was also recently after uh, whatever the thing was it in Boston, where where people put like like the little like light up characters around like different parts of the subway, and people mistook that for a possible terrorist thing. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Which is interesting because the show takes place in Boston. Oh okay, it's set in Boston, which is actually kind of cool because it's like 
you could think that they would go like the New York route or whatever, but they yeah. did Boston instead. And now it, it, it's really great. It's very well written. John Noble is incredible. I mean, just incredible. Uh, um, I, I, I yeah, I dig the show a lot, and I'm looking forward to, to finishing up because I never finished it. I never, I never seen the whole thing um, all the way through. So I'm looking forward to actually getting through it. And uh, now that I've got Sweet. the yeah the Blu-rays, I will be doing yeah. that. But um, it, yeah, so it, it popped up on uh, either Netflix or Hulu or Amazon. One of those we were looking yeah. at the other night. Yeah, but I, the whole cast is great too. I mean, Joshua Jackson yep. of Mighty Ducks fame, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, <laughs> and Anna Torv, who plays the lead character, Olivia Dunham, she's fantastic. Somebody's shoveling snow outside our window right now. That is definitely our cue to go home. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much you for coming out. Everyone have a wonderful uh, week, and we'll be back at you next time with Super Woo! Drop of Rain. All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time. I want to stay in